Hey everybody, welcome to Life Skills Radio. I'm your host, Jennifer Russell, and today I am delighted to have our very own Elizabeth Danner. And um, so we're going to talk about transition. Yay! Hi, Yay. Jen. Thanks for having me. Hey, Elizabeth. Thank you for being here. Tell us, um, you know, a little bit about your experience as a life skills teacher and how you got into transition. I came to the classroom after years of doing social work and supported employment and supported living for adults with disabilities. And that was really where I was kind of seeing my career head. And then I ended up just getting a job as a paraprofessional in a, in a classroom. And that's kind of what brought back my love for teaching. And so, so that's how I landed as a high school life skills teacher supporting students with intellectual disabilities in inclusion in to the general classes as well as um, access to the community. So as part of that experience, I just had that feeling that we were doing so much work and as students left, graduated, and um, left the protections of IDEA, the Individuals with Disabilities in Education Act, as students were leaving public schools, it just felt like without really effective ongoing transition planning, they were just kind of falling off a cliff. And even students with um, who had families with a lot of resources, it was, you know, that really the key to sustainable um, adult lives was transition planning. So that's where I became sort of obsessed with that. Tell us what it looks like, you know, when things don't don't work out well and the bus stops coming, what what do we typically see for a child who has significant disabilities and, and exits, you know, out of the system? Right. So indicator 14, talk about dry. When you say state performance plan indicator 14, it sounds very dry. But really what that that uh, data tells us, it's a, a federal accountability system. And what it tells us is what happens a year after students exit public schools, mm-hmm. students with disabilities. What does What are they doing? Are they enrolled in some kind of continued learning, either college or community college, or some kind of continued learning, technical school, anything like that? Are they in a, a job? So what's their uh, career looking like? Or do they have some type of other employment? Or are they graduating to the couch with none of the above activities? Yes. And yeah, and so right now, the latest data that came out of the fall 2018 reports is statewide, uh, it is close I think it's above 35% of students with disabilities are graduating to the couch. Mm. And within Region 13, it's about 24%. Mm-hmm. So even while I celebrate that Region 13 districts are performing better, that's still one quarter of our right. students are graduating to the couch. Right. And that's that data is very complex. I could talk about that all day. We don't have time for that in this podcast. But um, but it does tell us that that you know, that, that that's the kind of worst case scenario mm-hmm. is that um, that they're not, uh, they haven't found their way to a career. Now this, that data reflects not just students with intellectual disabilities, but with all disabilities. So we haven't disaggregated all of that. Uh, but still, I think um, we all know anyone who has been in the classroom for a few years can 
just, you know, when you hear back from families and when you, you know, you run into a family at Randall's or HEB and, hey, how are things going? And and so, so often, too often you hear, oh, you know, we, we're struggling to find something that works. Now it's also wonderful to hear those success stories, but really that key to special education is that we can be that link. We can put things in place and make connections that will support the student lifelong. And so let's talk a little bit more about those links and those connections um, and, and think about what teachers need to keep in mind. I know that when I was in the classroom and I worked primarily with younger students, so before I really understood the sort of the, the continuum or the, the alignment, um, you know, I really didn't think it had that much to do with what I was doing with my you know little four-year-olds it felt so far off it felt very far mm-hmm. removed and mm-hmm. um but now i know that you know independence that's what we're working on whether the child is four or 14 or you know 21 um Absolutely. and so th- thinking about the skills that will you know what am I going to be, what is working on independence look like for a four-year-old? Asking yourself every day, what am I doing for the student that they should be doing for themselves? Exactly. Am I, yeah, yeah, am I, am I hanging up their backpack when they are physically able to? I just need to, to Mm -hmm. be working with them. I need to teach that skill. Yeah, that Mm -hmm. break that down or, Mm -hmm. um, you know, walking through the cafeteria line and getting their food or greeting, Mm -hmm. greeting the people that work in the cafeteria, um, you know, Mm -hmm. all all of the things. All of those Um, moments. And that's a great example of the school day is just a collection of moments that are really opportunities to learn that independence or if it, even if it's going from, a physical prompt to a verbal prompt mm-hmm. or to a picture or symbol or, you know, that that you can also think in terms of um, how can I decrease my ownership of this action right. and increase their ownership, the student's ownership of that action. Right. And, yeah, that, and you can say what, that across the grades. Across like. the grades, across the um, – absolutely. And I do encourage teachers of any age to really – pause and develop a clear picture of what they want their students to know and be able to do when they graduate. So uh, all of their students and that, you know, if they can kind of think starting in those terms. So even if you're teaching the four and five-year-olds, the the first priority is obviously what do I want them to be able to do when they get to elementary school, such as hanging up their backpack or um, tell a teacher good morning or you know something like that. So certainly that's a that is a transition plan in and of itself. But I I also encourage them to think way down the line. Um, so a four year old you can fairly easily. Um, physically support, right? Without, Mm -hmm. you know, that if their behavior requires support, you can physically support them by yourself. Um, But when you're thinking about what about when they're 20 years old, right? um, you know, how, what can we start to do to fade this now and to to Mm -hmm. transfer that? And and just having in mind um, 
how are they going to communicate? And the, the more significant the disability, the more complex the communication, the more important it is that we really take time. And this is where our village mm-hmm. makes a big difference, having their paraprofessionals, the related service providers, the bus drivers, the family, everybody in that student's life help to kind of fill in the blanks of who is this person? What do they like? What do they not like? How do we know? And, um, and, and you know, start to create that vision for down the road. And creating that vision, um, let's just talk a little bit about that. So, yes, really getting to know your students and knowing what their dreams are and um, what they love and, and coming up with a plan. Um, so can you just talk a little bit about that and yes. how teachers can sort of wrap their head around that process? Well, the first thing that I wish I had come to sooner in my career is deleting the word realistic Mm -hmm. and unrealistic. I think that's one of our biggest struggles as special educators is we put so much pressure on on ourselves to help a student articulate a, quote, realistic goal. And that term, realistic, comes from a good place, I think. At least for me, it did. What I meant by that was... I want to help the student set their goals on something achievable. So I had a lot of um, sort of protective impulse of I wanted to steer my students in a direction that I could feel like they could uh, achieve, right? right. That like I we do with academic goals. Absolutely. And so I, I thought of it that way. Um, and I also felt like I put pressure on myself that as the professional, I have to get them to do this because otherwise my professionalism is on mm-hmm. the line or something, right? I, I think we put a lot of pressure on ourselves with that. But what I discovered when I left that word out of the equation, not only was it not needed, but it actually got in the way and it made my work harder. And I think that's the thing that I want to give freedom to all special educators, even uh, the teachers who support students with the most complex needs and um, and have the, the most support it needed in order to be included in the community. Um, get rid of that word because you don't need it. Um, Because if a student with, um, and I'll give you an example, a student that I taught had uh, visual impairment, had um, cerebral palsy, which included some uh, fine and gross motor difficulties, had speech impairment that required him to use um, an augmentative communication device. Back Mm -hmm. then, it was one of the big clunky ones that now I think students are using iPads and it's gotten much sleeker. Uh, But for him, you know, he had a lot of involvement. Um, He wanted to be a pilot. And several of us who were working with him really wanted to be sure that he knew that, you know, the the Federal Aviation Administration rules and requirements are such that, you know, you have to have 20-20 uncorrected vision. You have to have this and this and this. And we were so concerned about making sure that he knew the FAA rules that what we didn't focus on and what we, what we came around to um, was why? Why do you want to be a pilot? Because I love planes. Mm-hmm. I love airplanes. They're big, they're loud, they're interesting, they're metal, they're, you know, like whatever reason that an adolescent man would be intrigued by airplanes, those were his reasons, right? That he liked to be around them. And so um, as we stumbled our way toward getting rid of the word realistic, what we found by by using that word was it just crushed his dreams and it also 
it limited his trust in us. I think that was what what ultimately it did. And in since that time and since getting rid of that word realistic, I have found that in my own life, as I have set what were what ultimately I would come to recognize as entirely unachievable goals, such mm-hmm. as running a half marathon in under two hours. <laughs> Absolutely unachievable for my 40-something self. Um, but when asked in a running class, what's your running goal? I said, ah, run a sub two half marathon because that's what every r- other runner was talking about. <laughs> so what did I know? I didn't, I was like, that sounds cool. I guess that's what we're supposed to want. I don't know. So I just kind of threw it out there and the I had a running coach say, okay, well, let's, you know, do some work on that and we'll um, help you find a more realistic goal. And I remember leaving that <laughs> running class thinking, ah, I don't like that coach. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I remember thinking, and he didn't know me and he didn't um and it was it was much later that I thought oh, he said realistic he did the thing that I caution against in transition planning and I really don't care about my speed in running it's not something that I'm really hugely invested in but I realized that even when the stakes were that low I I didn't like that coach I ended up switching to another class and the other coach I, I decided to test her and I said I want a sub too <laughs> because I thought let me just see what she does with this and she said okay sure and she never once she could have easily told me at that moment that's never going to happen friend mm-hmm. but instead she said okay and she just gave me a list of okay these are the uh, you know, minutes per mile you're going to need to achieve. This is the pace you're going to need to keep. Why don't you run two miles right now at that pace and tell me how that goes? And I came back huffing and puffing and said, yeah, I think maybe I'm going to switch my goal. But in that moment, I could see illustrated how important it is that my um, I worked much harder for that second coach. Mm-hmm. I did a lot more and I was much, I had a lot more faith in her when she told me um what to do or how to reach my goal. And then as I revised my goal, when I had revised goals, I trusted her much more when she told me how to, what I, what work I needed to do to achieve them. And I think we see that same process in the classroom. If I tell a young person with Down syndrome who wants to be a professional singer, you know, a rock singer, and they, um, you know, part of their, they have speech impairment and and, um, and their their voice, like they sing at the same skill level that I do, which is not a skill level. I don't have a good voice. And so I sing along in my car. I sing along at at home. I have places where I can sing. And, uh, you know, and, and yet there's no reason for me to say, well, that's not realistic. Right. You know, there's just that that word would only get in the way. I can just say, okay, on the way to that goal, uh, because there are a lot of people trying to be professional singers out there, and um, and they also have day jobs. So I can I can right. frame it in a different way, and I can also stop and ask, what makes what do you like about singing? What, right. What's appealing to you about that as a job? Yeah. And, and is it, I think we're trying to protect with the whole realistic, mm-hmm. unrealistic. It's I think like I think you mentioned this that it seems like the idea is that we want to we want to protect kids. We want mm-hmm. to spare them. Pain, the pain of not of, achieving yeah. that goal, but mm-hmm. then in the process we erode trust and do damage and do damage. You we know? do, and I think about some of just when I think about my adult life out in the world. Um, 
Some of the most interesting things I've done in my life have been on the way to an unachievable goal. Mm. You know, so I don't worry about if if it's achievable or not. And I can also say that there are stories like Temple Grandin and, you know, a million different stories of people who set out goals that if I were their case manager, I might be thinking, that doesn't sound realistic. And yet they did them. And I think that's the other thing is that we don't have a crystal ball. We do have transition assessments. We do have evaluation. We do have information about their disability and its impact. So we do certainly have those things. But we also don't have a crystal ball when I think about how much technology has changed Mm -hmm. just in the time that I've been alive on the planet, let alone in the time that I've been in my career in special education. So many things are possible now for people with disabilities and for people without disabilities right. that were not before. So we don't have crystal ball. And and it what's nice about it is when you delete that part of it, that, you know, setting a realistic goal, air quotes, um, that when I when I leave that out, it makes my job easier as well. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not a sacrifice I'm making. I'm actually giving myself a gift by taking that out of the equation. And then it leaves me room to just be curious, to get to know that student more, and to also have conversations about, okay, on the way to that goal. So on the way to a... To being a pilot. Um, to being a pilot. Um, what else, you know, what are some things you could do? Um, and of course, the the uh, the happy um, ending to that story is that uh, the student went on to get a certificate to clean planes at a technical school. And so he was able to, and because... To be with planes all day. To be with planes all day, which was his whole goal. And because of his squeaky clean record in a post 9-11 world, mm-hmm. um, to get access to planes, even to clean them, requires background checks. And I mean, this kid had never said so much as a swear word. He was oh. just absolutely the... the um, the dream for the uh, for the airline industry in mm-hmm. terms of his contribution, and so um, so things like that. You know, when you think about on the way to to that goal, how can you learn more about that industry? How can you learn more about that? Where can you go to do those things or to be around those things? I really I like that phrasing on the way to that goal. You yeah. know, like the student with a sub- significant physical disability who wants mm-hmm. to be a football player yes. on the way to that goal or the child with intellectual disability who wants to be a doctor on yes. the way to that goal. There's just so many, it's it's expansive it's rather expansive. than limiting. Yeah, what is it about that goal that you like? Let's find ways that you can do that thing. Mm-hmm. If it's you like wearing uh, a uniform, if it's like you like... Um, being around sports, you like, uh, you want, you know, whatever that thing is. So finding more about it and then looking at on the way to that goal and and sharing, here's something you do really well. I noticed that in your job um, at the uh, doctor's office, you, you know, get all of these, um, all of this great feedback. You really uh, contribute very much to that setting. So, you know, dif- uh, different things of, you know, sharing about, well, you do this really well. And I also think that's something that can be those conversations can be started early on as well. I think the sooner sort of looking at those barriers to inclusion and and really talking with parents about, you know, what their specific fear, because, you know, for some parents, they want want their child regardless to be fully included. Mm -hmm. Other parents do not want their kids to be included Mm -hmm. because of... um, because of fears, which may be the exact same fears. It just looks different. And um, Mm -hmm. so being able to have those conversations with parents about, um, and maybe just taking baby steps, um, you know, starting at four, like, guess what? We're gonna all eat lunch 
together or we're going to go into the pre-K classroom. Yeah. And um, and so that hopefully along the way they can see that this this child is a part of, you know, they're a part of the community. Absolutely. Yeah, and that uh, um, kind of learning along with parents and, and staying curious. Mm-hmm. I think that's the um, that's the other piece is sometimes early in my career, I felt so much pressure to make everything fit, you know, that um, and, and to have a neatly polished transition plan and giving myself permission to be curious and um, and to um, to really find the meaning um, behind transition planning. There is a lot of, you know, depending on your IEP software system, it can be more or less difficult to capture what's important about transition planning in your actual IEP. So that part can be particularly challenging for a new teacher or a novice teacher who's just trying to figure out how do I get this IEP software to, to do what I want it to do. Um, and in those moments, you know, find the mentors who can help you navigate the software system but always remembering the spirit of transition planning. The whole point is that we kind of stop and and check in with wh- what is all of this work that we're doing? Where is it going to lead to? And and what can we be working on now? Um, at And certainly in those early years before transition planning is required in the IEP, we can, like you said, we can still be, teachers can still be thinking about that. What am I doing for the student now that they could mm-hmm. be doing for themselves? Yeah, thinking about independence, thinking about barriers to inclusion. Mm-hmm. Um, Helping loop families in mm-hmm. to signing up for Medicaid waivers and yes. and getting connected with the family liaison who can kind of walk families Working through. on communication. I mean, that's a big, yes. that's a big piece, I think. Social emotional skills. I mean, you can self determination. Yep. Yes. You can get a job if you're not the best reader, but Mm -hmm. if you don't have certain skills, social, you know, social emotional Mm -hmm. or self regulation skills, self advocacy, it'll be a lot more difficult to to get a job and keep a job. Mm -hmm. Um, So for the new teacher who is, say, a new secondary teacher, can you tell, can you walk me through sort of a time, are there certain things that, things that have to be done by when um, that, that you can sort of nutshell? Well, the, the easiest nutshell would be to go to the Texas Transition and Employment Guide. There are checklists in terms of by age 14, by age 16, by age 18, if you think long range. Mm-hmm. In terms of what do I, as a teacher, need to be doing for transition today? Um, there, we have the SPP 13 checklist, and you can cue the wah, wah sound. <laughs> that sounds so terrible. Um, but I think uh, what is helpful about that is there's the annual requirements for transition. So you asked, you know, what should teachers be doing? So there is the Texas Transition and Employment Guide helps kind of formulate um, what's our long-range planning and what are some some um, mileposts to be to be thinking about for my 14 year olds my 15 year olds but in terms of what do I need to do this year to not get fired right <laughs> like, right that I need to be thinking about in terms of what are my requirements as a teacher um, and sometimes that does become the bigger priority when you're just trying to get through the next mm-hmm. ARD um, that's where um, I would definitely recommend asking 
you know, your campus support and your district support folks. Every district has a TED, Transition and Employment Services designee. Find your TED and ask them what are the requirements for transition and what does that look like? Maybe it's spelled out in your operating guidelines. Maybe there's a whole um, transition toolkit. Some districts put together a whole toolkit. Um, some just use that indicator 13 checklist. And so ultimately, that's going to be the the accountability guide of um, what must be included in the IEP each year. Great. That's very helpful information. And in terms of um, Region 13 offerings, whether it's courses or websites or products, can you talk a little bit about sort of your work here? And I think you have a pretty robust, at this point now, you have mm-hmm. a pretty robust collection of resources for Absolutely. teachers. Absolutely. So um, esc13.net/transition is my website, and that will lead you to a whole bunch of other live binders and resources. It's very pretty. We, <laughs> there are so many. Um, sometimes it's it can be a little overwhelming. Um, we do have. Um, a transition planning at a glance series in the product store that is really designed for the new or novice teacher, but is also has has been used by others uh, to just you know kind of um, it's really with an, the educator audience in Great. mind. Um, and then yeah, there are really if you can if you start from esc13.net/transition, that will take you many, many, many places. <laughs> and most of all to me. So if you have questions, <laughs> you can, if the shorthand version is to email me and then I can kind of curate the um, the resources that you need in response to the question. And um, yeah, if you can just share your email with the listeners. Elizabeth.danner, and that's D as in David, A-N-N-E-R, like dinner with an A. <laughs> Elizabeth.danner at esc13.txed.net is one way, or um, possibly at the podcast um, site where you found the podcast, you can uh, find links to uh, to contact information. Um, and But I also highly recommend touching base with the TED for your district, that that can be a great resource. And again, that's the Transition and Employment Services designee. And you also do a great workshop. I Do you do Leaving a Clear Trail in the fall and the spring? Or? So Leaving a Clear Trail is all things graduation. And that is a workshop that we recommend that a special educator, so either an art facilitator or the um, special ed administrator attend that, and counselors who are the keepers of the curriculum requirements, and then a PEAMS person. So we, we recommend that each district send a, that team of three. Um, I do, once a year in the fall, I do Texas Transition, um, which is just kind of the... the uh, intro to all things transition, but the Transition in Texas website, which you can get to from my website, but transitionintexas.org, um, that's the, the state website, and they have some online courses that are available 24-7 oh, free. Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. We're so happy that, um, that we got to snag you because we know you're busy and got to talk transition. Well, thanks so much for having me. 